Hi, and thanks for listening to the Beauty Revealed podcast produced by C-Squared Artistry, a brand for women multiplying character and confidence in their lives to reveal their true beauty. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to share with you guys a very special guest. She has been a dear friend of mine over the past several years, and she is really a person that comes to mind when I think about confidence, when I think about character and beauty. She has overcome so much in her life, and um, you know, she is a speaker, a teacher, a dreamer, an entrepreneur, you name it, she does it. Uh, she enjoys cooking and so much more, and she does it all well with grace and with beauty. Um, so I just wanna welcome you, Shakira A. Hill, to today's podcast. Thank you so much, Candice. I'm so happy to be here and incredibly flattered by that introduction. Um, thank you. It's, it's really an honor. And congratulations on the launch of the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to have you. Um, so why don't you just share a little bit about yourself, you know, your name, your age, and kind of some of the basics so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, so I'm Shakira Hill. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and currently residing in Washington, D.C. I am 33 years old, or 33 years young, I should say, and yeah, a native New Yorker. I grew up um, in Brooklyn in Flatbush, which is home to <laughs> many West Indian immigrants, um, and spent a good portion of my formative years um, in, in Brooklyn um, before entering into a, a foster home in California, um, and then spent some time shuttled back and forth between Jamaica, where my family originates, and, and the Washington, D.C. area in New York. So yeah, I've been I've been all over. <laughs> I have a pretty unique background in that. I've spent some time um, in the foster care system, which is which is um, incredibly um, difficult for a lot of young young people. Um, so I'd love to just spend some time talking about that because I have a heart for foster children, and then um, yeah, finally finding my footing once I hit. Uh, high school and college and um, and then for after. Awesome. Yes, I should make sure to mention that Shakira and I do share the Jamaican um, heritage bloodline as well as being from New York. I was born in the Bronx, um, but raised in Atlanta. So we definitely have that connect as well, the Jamaican thing going on. Um, Absolutely. So I love Shakira's story. It is full of so much, but as you guys will hear her share in a minute, um, you know, she just shares it with such grace. And so um, why don't you jump in and just give us an overview of a little bit more of what we're talking about today, which is how to overcome and heal and become confident um, after having a heartache. You mentioned your fo the foster care system. And as you grew older and kind of moved into your prominent years and um, adulthood, you really began to experience some other hardships. Can you share a little bit about that with this? Yeah, I think it's an interesting topic, the healing after heartache, because so many people think of heartache as just a romantic thing, and the whole conversation around trauma gets left out of that. And so heartache for me has been heartache in um, 
going through the foster care system, so that sense of abandonment where I was um, taken from my parents, and then several years later, heartache reoccurring in the death, the murder of my father, and then, of course, what most people would think of as heartache um, for me in the severing of a marriage. So I got married at 25. I was a pretty young bride and was married for two years, separated for a year. My ex-husband and I were estranged. And, you know, at that age, understanding the the intricacies and the demands of being someone's spouse is still so novel and fragile and vulnerable. Uh, and so for me, that was compounded with then having to immediately go through the process of navigating a divorce. Um, many people describe divorce as, you know, like a death, and I can attest to that. It did feel like I had had watched someone close to me die, in a sense. But these wow. compounding, yeah, these compounding traumas and heartaches, you know, people think that you just heal and that it's a one-time occurrence. But I've had to, and I'm still learning, to be honest, that healing is an everyday thing. It is an intentional mindset, particularly for someone who has gone through repeated trauma, that you just don't heal and, like, you're okay. You have to be in the mindset of being healed every single day. Yeah, no, that's really good. I'm glad you mentioned that because, one, realizing that heartache comes in a lot of different forms. It isn't always romantic. It can be, you know, in the form of of family struggles and things like that. And we oftentimes don't realize how those traumatic things are impacting our lives, especially we think that time, you know, we say, well, time is kind of one of the best healers. Although time is a part of the healing process, it is not the only thing. And you can't expect that just because, you know, a year or two years, five years, 10 years has gone by that you are now just magically healed from this heartache. Um, there are things in my life that I I experienced growing up as a teenager as it pertained to romantic relationships and even throughout college that I didn't realize until years later that I was hurt, that I was still carrying pain um, from those heartaches, from those relationships. And sometimes it's not until something rubs up against you that you realize, wow, something is still there that I just haven't addressed. Um, or you may have been trying to address it, but you feel like you know, you're just not progressing in that. So I appreciate you kind of giving a little bit more of a, um, a diverse perspective on that. Yeah. Um, you know, you're an amazing storyteller and I've heard you share <laughs> on various occasions. And one of the things that you oftentimes talk about is invoking that me too factor, you know, with your audience and making sure that they can truly relate to you. What would you say is maybe one of the things that your audience, your followers, your readers, that they say they can relate to you um, in regards to your story? Yeah, I think that pain is universal. Everyone on the face of this earth has endured some form of pain. And unfortunately, that is the me too factor. And I think that what attracts people to my story and, and then by proxy to me is the um, vulnerability uh, by which I'm able to share the details 
of my life. And, and of course, there's a fine line. You know, there are a lot of things that I do choose to leave private because of the impact that they, they will have on people who are still very much um, present in my life. But, you know, I also think that there is there's an importance in, in sharing my story and being vulnerable and authentic and opening up so that uh, so that other people know that pain is not something that you have to run or hide from and that there's no shame. No matter what the cause of the pain was, we don't have to feel shame in that we've gone through these different circumstances. So I think for me, the Me Too factor is, is the ability to be vulnerable and to say, yes, I have been hurt. And yes, there was a point in my life that I was incredibly broken. Mm-hmm. No, and and vulnerability is very difficult. It can be very hard to be vulnerable, especially when you have experienced pain in the past. Um, I love that you mentioned, you know, the fine line between vulnerability and transparency and really being respectful of the other people that have been a part of your story. Um, one thing that I can respect is that even as, you know, as, as close as I've known you and things that you've shared, and even as you were writing this book in the very beginning stages of writing this book, you were very, very careful to respect um, your ex-husband, to respect the other people that were a part of your life um, and a part of this experience. Um, and so I think as we move to a place of healing, it's important to keep those people in mind um, and to also remember that you weren't the only you know, person that experienced the heartache or the brokenness. Yeah. There were other people involved in these these situations. And so I think that helps to bring a sense of humanity. And like you're saying, pain is, is universal. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a part of the healing process, at least for me, is learning that I may have experienced um, pain, but I don't have to live with a victim mentality that says this person is to blame and I didn't do anything or, you know, maybe they have done some things. Maybe I acknowledge what I did to contribute to this pain and heartache, but I don't carry that victim mentality with me. Um, yeah. And that is something that, that I personally struggled with. You know, one of my very first dating relationships as a teenager at, at 15 years old was a very verbally and emotionally abusive relationship. And I carried a trait of a victim mentality that carried with me into even the early part of my marriage, thinking and feeling like I always had to be on the defensive um, because I needed to protect myself or thinking that someone was playing mind games with me and feeling like I always had to have the next leg up. Um, But the Lord began to work on my heart and especially through the help of my husband and people that um, I could confide in to say, you are no longer a victim. You are going to have gone through a process of healing. Um, and let's be honest and look at the things that you've contributed to this, you know, the pain and heartache that you experienced as well. So just knowing that the other people in the in the situation also experience pain. So I, I appreciate the respect um, that you show to your ex and to other people who are part of your experience. Certainly. I mean, one of the most important things to remember is that for me, this was somebody that I knowingly chose to marry. And for better or worse, I shared a significant portion of my life with this person. And, you know, you stated it well that 
I wasn't the only one hurt in the situation. And it, it does become a very victimized mentality when you, particularly for those who are in a creative field where you cannot tell the, your story in a balanced way. And mm-hmm. it is painful to confront the things that you've done wrong. There were many things that I had to look at within myself as I reflected on and overcame and did, did the soul work in um, being restored following my, my divorce. I had to address that Shakira was not perfect and will never be perfect. Um, I'll continue to make mistakes until the day I die, but I, I couldn't be where I am today if I didn't own up to the things that I did, not only in that marriage, but in, in other areas of, of my life. Like I said before, you know, heartache is not just in a romantic context. There are friendships that I've experienced heartaches from. There have been work situations that have been painful, dreams that have, you know, the first iteration of my book, um, I lost it. It, it got ended up on a a broken um, external hard drive. And that was an incredibly painful experience. So it is recognizing that, you know, pain doesn't operate in a vacuum. And sometimes, and not every time, but sometimes we are, we are the greatest source of our pain. Mm, Wow. Really good. Pain does not operate in a vacuum. That's so true. We do not live on an island on our own. And we're not alone and we're not the only person that has ever experienced what we're experiencing. Um, And that's not to be insensitive or to, you know, downplay the pain. But I think sometimes, you know, especially if you're listening to this, this podcast right now, you're listening because you desire growth and you desire, you know, some type of guidance. And that is a part of the process is um, really being honest. So I love that you said that. I think I kind of remember that first iteration being <laughs> lost on the yeah. hard drive. <laughs> that was, oh, God. Yeah. I think I'd I spent, like, that. weeks just crying in the bed. I would go to my daytime job and just be like, I am so heartbroken. But, you know, it happened, and I had to learn at that point, is this where you let your dream die, or do you do you keep going? And I, I started all over from scratch. And I'm grateful for the experience because it taught me perseverance and fortitude. Um, and also to back everything up to the clout. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that because that kind of transitions me to one of the articles that you wrote in 2016, um, that I read and I, I loved it because I think when we were kind of talking years ago, we talked about, um, me being your wife coach and just having you know, <laughs> kind of like that dialogue um, about marriage and preparing to be a wife, et cetera. And the article that you wrote in 2016 called The Pernicious um, Pedigree of Wifedom was you perceived, you know, kind of yourself in a very different way in regards to marriage and the expectations that you believe um, culture, society, et cetera, has about being a wife. And I want to read a quote Um, from your article, you said that you felt like, I quote, I was too much, needed too much, came with too much. I was too much, needed too much, came with too much. Unpack that for us and and help us to kind of understand what you meant by that. Yeah, I I came into 
my first marriage, this young, broken woman with this just traumatized background. And I had no way of articulating to my husband at the time that I had all of these open wounds. And so rather than just being able to say, I am hurt and I'm scared and I'm afraid and I have absolutely no idea to navigate this, I was this bottomless pit of of need. And it wasn't even the need in the way that I needed to be around him all the time or I needed, you know, his attention all of the time. I think I just, I needed this this certainty that, like, I was enough. And I was seeking that, um, trying to be this perfect wife. And so trying to cook all the perfect meals and keep the perfect home and, and be beautiful and all of those things, thinking that that was enough to sustain a marriage and to sustain, you know, this role as being a wife. And what I didn't know at the time that I now know is that, you know, being someone's spouse is is to be called to be imperfect. And it is that imperfection and, and walking in the imperfection partnered with someone for a, a lifetime is that which allows you to grow and to the person that you're supposed to be. I think it was Jada Pinkett Smith who said in a recent interview, she was um, uh, being interviewed for her latest movie, but she said that marriage is, is just two traumatized people healing each other. And I was not in a place to be able to, you know, communicate where my pains were coming from and then to receive any type of love that was being offered to me. Now, my ex-husband and I, I don't think we were well together. I don't think that we um, should have been married. He was a a friend um, in the way that we grew up together. He was one of the first people who I had grown up with. I didn't have childhood friends because of, you know, the moving and being in and out of different homes. And so I had come to trust him, but that that wasn't enough to make him my husband, and it wasn't enough to make me his wife. So I had these deep needs, and then I had these expectations of myself that I needed to be perfect, and perfection in that way didn't exist. And so this this marriage that we were trying to build was never going to be sustainable because it wasn't built on the right things because I didn't have the right foundation. Yeah, wow. Okay. Whew. Okay, Shakira, there's so much in there. I just, <laughs> I'm going to try to keep focused. Um, a couple of things. One thing you mentioned with regards to how you guys, you know, were friends um, and you had that, that time factor in there um, yeah. of how long you knew each other. I just want to dispel <laughs> some of the myths that even I have have thought in the in times past even as it pertains to friendships you know um same-sex friendships as well Mm -hmm. that we think that time years you know decades means that we are a a, a perfect fit um Mm -hmm. now don't get me wrong i know there are those couples and i have you know i've done makeup for women who are getting married to their high school college sweethearts middle school sweethearts like 
and and it's genuine and i believe that i mean my parents were you know that's kind of their story and they've been married now almost you know 30 plus years so i know it's possible but time isolated just like pain is not a vacuum in and of itself time is not a vacuum either um and just because you know someone for a certain period of time does not mean that you are um a a great fit for them now friendship also plays into that because marriage isn't just built on friendship i mean i see posts all the time you know on social media about what you know their boyfriend their husband is just their best friend and i think that there is great value in that um and even sometimes to be honest i feel insecure at times when i see some of those posts because i think about my marriage and my husband and i to date we have been married 8 years and we are friends we are genuinely friends we laugh we enjoy some of the same things but there's more to this marriage than just like kicking it you know and so i yeah. think sometimes we can be deceived to think that okay you're my best friend we like doing the same things we hang out uh we've known each other for a long time this would make for a good marriage kind of dispel some of of the the myths in that regards and what you maybe thought at the time and what you know now <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't think anything at the time which was part of the problem you know i didn't come from a household where I saw marriage played out. I didn't have really good examples of what marriage looks like or, you know, how you even find a spouse or accept someone as a potential mate. And so what we did have is is the trust or what I thought was trust. There were things that I share with my ex-husband that no one else had ever known. And that was important because it was important at the time because you know I needed a safe place to know that I could sort of unravel um and he was the only place where I could unravel I couldn't do that at school I couldn't do it at home I couldn't do it anywhere else but he in his being in the context of this relationship that turned marriage was the only place that I could sort of just let it all out um, and so I don't even think that I thought anything other than, well, it makes sense because I can't, I can't be anything else anywhere else. Like I can only be perfect in school. I can only be perfect, you know, at home. I had to be the child that made good grades. I was always on the honor roll, you know, first one to go to college and then graduate college. And so he provided the safety to sort of just be like, I am a mess, you know, and the irony of it is that then I went into our marriage trying to be perfect, (laughs) trying to sweep all of that mess into the closet and trying to be perfect. But I think, you know, I think there is beauty in being with someone who is, who is a friend, who's genuinely a friend, but you're right, Candace, like there absolutely has to be more because a marriage is made up of so much more character is incredibly important for both the husband and the wife to have when considering marriage. And then, you know, looking at somebody's ability to withstand challenges, as you know, you've been married eight years and congratulations on that, by the way. Um, It takes people who are really willing to commit to a lifetime of forgiveness, a lifetime of extending grace, a lifetime of, you know, 
growing and being stretched beyond what you thought that you could be. And if two people don't have that or are not at least willing to communicate around that, then no, I don't know that you can walk into a marriage. And I walked into, you know, marriage thinking, and and I believe a lot of people do, thinking that, well, we've known each other, we love each other, I think, um, we can just do this for the rest of our life. But, you know, there were no boundaries set. We didn't we didn't have the important conversations. And I think it would have become very clear to us both. I think it was clear, but it would have been on the table and we could not have denied that we should not be married, whether to each other or at all at that time in our lives. I don't think at that age I should have been married to anyone, and not even age, because I know plenty of young people who get married and live in beautiful marriages. I just was not healthy enough to be able to confront the work, the good work that marriage and that lifelong commitment requires. So you guys just heard part one of this interview with Ms. Shakira A. Hill, just a phenomenal, phenomenal woman. My goodness, you do not want to miss part two that comes out next week. Um, She's going to be sharing so much more and we're going to be talking a little bit more about marriage as well as how to overcome the divorce and the things that she experienced. Be sure to follow her on Twitter at Shakira Adiana. That's S-H-A-K-I-R-A-H. Adiana, A-D-I-A-N-N-A, that's Shakira Adiana. Follow her on Twitter or follow her on her website, shakiraadiana.com, because she's coming out with a book this year, so you do not want to miss any updates that she has. And be sure to stay tuned and subscribe to this podcast because part two will come out next week and you've got to stay up to date. It's going to be amazing. Follow me on Instagram at C squared art so you can always see what's happening there as well. Thanks so much, you guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye.